John 10, I actually had, I actually, uh, my fault, I, I prepared John 1, uh, John, sorry, not John 1, John 10, 1 to 15. So a few extra verses you're going to get. There we go. I wonder how many of you this week just feel trapped, trapped by life, trapped by either the cards that have been dealt to you in your life, or maybe some poor decisions, some wrong decisions, maybe even some sinful decisions that you've made in your life, which are still bearing consequences today. You feel trapped by them. I wonder how many of you are feeling like they're just the real you just wants to break free, just to rip off those shackles that are holding you back, the expectations of others, the expectations of society, and just be the real you, to fulfil uh, the, the dreams and the desires that you have in your life. I wonder how many of us might feel like that this morning. Maybe for some of you, you're getting old. Uh, things are starting to shut down. Grandkids are off track, the kids are off track. Man, can they just get on track? So then uh, you'll have some sort of worthy legacy when you die um, that uh, maybe this life counted for something. You might be feeling like that. That could just do that, that'd, that'd break the shackles. And maybe for some of you, it's your jobs. You know, just, just get the right job. Maybe it's your physical appearance or your. But a lack of intelligence, lack of money that's holding the real you back. Maybe it's your lack of social skills, lack of a partner, lack of friends that's holding you back. Maybe it's your kids, your partner, you just want to trade them in. <laughs> Father's Day, yeah, maybe you want to trade him in too. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things. They might just be holding you back. These are shackles that are holding you back. Maybe it's even more seriously mental health smothering you. Maybe uh, it's abuse that you've suffered. Or maybe it's even the abandonment that you have suffered uh, that's holding you back. And all these things are stopping the real you from breaking free and being the real you. This, this morning, I, I want to point out that the part of the reason why you feel like that, just part of it, and why we feel we're trapped and the real us can't break free uh, is because there's a cultural narrative that tells us just that. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's been gaining momentum over the last 30 years or so um, that tells us that the real you is being held back. And if we can just throw off expectations that, have, that hamper the real you, freedom will be attained. Your desires and dreams will come true. And they can be achieved. But this, this cultural narrative tells us, it goes even further, it tells us that all our desires and the things that we feel are the most important of all voices in our life. And any other voice must come into submission and bow down before the real you, the voice of the real you, so you can be free. Jesus teaches in today's reading is the antithesis of this narrative. For Jesus says he makes the call about who you are. 
and it's his voice, his calling that brings life and life to the full. My dear Jane, my wife, has a saying that she uses at home, and many of you know her. It's meant to be humorous, so if you, if you know her, just imagine her saying this. If, if one of our sons or me need to ask to do something or if this would be okay, she often says and replies in this funny voice, you do you, babe. All right, You do you, babe. She says it like that. It's very funny, but the idea is that she's, she's mocking, but also at one level she's affirming this cultural narrative, this idea that anything you desire you can have and be. Don't let anything hold you back. You do you, babe. That's the cultural narrative, and that's what I want to call it from now on, the you-do-you-babe narrative. And the essence of this you-do-you-babe narrative is captured in any Disney movie that you watch. For the last 30 years, not Bambi, because actually they're sacrificing. You come back and you watch, you, you look at it today. All right, and the most famous, probably, Disney film over the last little bits, a, a movie called Frozen, Horrific movie, but watch it if you want. And um, it's, it's got, the, in it there's a song sung, and uh, the song is the worst thing ever. If you're an adult and you've got kids who are sort of 10 or below, your ears are bleeding already. Um, it is a song called Let It Go. I am going to sing it. I've never, I've never led worship before, but here we are. Let it go, let it go. Oh, gee, that's how bad it is. And... Um, the idea is this woman, the girl who's singing it, she's the main character, and she's singing it because um, she no longer wants to be defined by her family or her society in being the good girl anymore. Instead, she should just let it go and express what's been holding her back inside. She's trying to do the you-do-you-babe cultural narrative. Every Disney movie is that. Now, let's be fair. There's some good in it. There's some good in the you do you, babe. Because it affirms and it overcomes adversity. There's no greater story, is there, when you see someone overcome great adversity. We love it. We're wired for it. We can't help it. We love hearing it. And, and if you've watched the Commonwealth Games recently, we saw it in spades. I mean, I, cry, I don't know why. I cry watching the Commonwealth Games. Some athletes from some obscure nation who's never swum in anything bigger than a bathtub swims at the Olympic Games. It's the greatest thing ever. I mean, they've got no chance at all. They come last and we stand and clap them and you're like, there it is. All expectations have been overcome. The narrative of living in the desert and swimming against the world's best. It's a beautiful story. And you hear, you hear these stories all the time from athletes and something usually uh, along the lines of, I had a goal, I had a dream. I didn't let anybody hold me back. And I did it, and we made it. And look at me now. It's the you-do-you-babe narrative. But in today's reading, we see Jesus Using this, it's a sustained metaphor taken from first century 
farming, if you've got your Bibles open there, where he describes himself as the good shepherd and the gate. And we are his sheep. The way Jesus uses uh, these titles of shepherd and gate, they, they crash up, they clash up, they smash up against this you-do-you-babe narrative. Because Jesus is telling his listeners and therefore he's telling us this morning that he is the one who determines our identity of who we are. Uh, shepherds in Jesus' day, and it's still the same in many parts of the world today, they would be able to stand at, at different points around a pen of sheep and just call their names and, they, and they, the sheep follow and come out and gather around the shepherd. Very different to how we do it in Australia with a Kelpie. All right. Kelpies are bred to not quite kill the sheep, but actually because they're from wolves, that's another sermon. Um, but they, they do it and scare the sheep. The shepherds in Jesus' time, and many still today, can call the sheep. And, and often there'd be, there'd be uh, three or four different herds in the one pen, four dif- different shepherds, and they just keep them in the pen for the night. And the, a, a gatekeeper in verse 3 there is given the role of guarding and stopping just anyone coming into the pen. If someone came uh, to the gate who was not the shepherd of the sheep, the sheep would not respond to the sheep because the sheep know his voice. The sheep will only respond to a particular calling. And Jesus describes anyone other than the shepherds in these sort of fairly strong language. He calls them thieves, bandits, and in the later verses, wolves. And these three characters... Uh, thieves, bandits and wolves, are coming to snatch the sheep and to push them out onto their own, to get them out of the flock so they're on by themselves. Jesus is probably referring to Pharisees. If you read chapter 9, he's just had a real hard time after he's made a blind man see and the Pharisees smashing for it. And so he's probably got religious guys like me in mind. They scatter the sheep. So they're more vulnerable. Yet Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he calls his sheep. And it's not a dog whistle. And it's not even just a special call so all the sheep come out. He actually calls them, just read it, by name. That is, he knows us. He sees us. He notices you. And he cares for you. And they know his voice. And he does this so that his sheep, that's us, will have life, verse 10, and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Have it overflowing. I call you by name. Not a general call, not a dog whistle, but a call by name. Because a call by name brings life. And this seems the totally opposite of the you-do-you-babe narrative that says life comes from filling your inner desires. This is a call by the shepherd. So let's just, let's just bash up on the you-do-you-babe narrative a bit more. Let's look at the weaknesses of it, because they're helpful to look at the weaknesses. We looked at the good parts, but there's, 
real dangerous weaknesses in it. Because there's a hidden um, presupposition, an assumption in it that, that actually we know what's right for us. It assumes that we know what's good for us. But we don't always know what's good for us, do we? I've had great desires in my life, but they've caused great damage as well. I've done things that's hurt people for the rest of their lives, actually. And we probably all have. I've acted on desires that I thought were right for me, but they weren't. They weren't right for others either. And often your desires will be in total conflict with each other too. I've got a great desire to play golf and fish for a living. That's all I want to do. I actually, I don't know, just the family, they are good, but fishing and golf, all right, just if I can fish and golf, someone else can have the common. Um, that's, that's my desire. But actually there's a cultural voice that actually tells me and there's a greater voice, I'll get to that, that tells me that's not right. Actually, what I really desire is my wife and my kids. And I also desire to pastor a church. They're good desires. They're not ultimate desires, but they're good desires. Good things. And so my point is that we are often in conflict. Our desires are in conflict. Which one do you choose? Which one do... In 50 years, whatever the culture's telling you will be the louder voice to what you choose, is what I'm saying. So we all have desires and dreams, but they're not always good for us. And the worst thing is that this you-do-you worldview narrative tells us that if you don't get them, then you're a failure. Because you've got to get them. That's the whole point but they're always just out of reach. Jim Carrey, great philosopher and uh, Canadian comedian, um, is a uh, climb to the very top of Hollywood. And at one stage, he was the highest earning actor in the world. He reached the pinnacle and he said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they desire and ever dreamt of, so they can see that it's not the answer. It takes Jim Carrey for us to listen. Because it can lead to terrible results. Jim Carrey, if you look at his acting career, he went into deep depression for a few years. He's a totally different bloke now. Totally different guy. And because his inner desires didn't fulfil him. They didn't ultimately fulfil him. And depression and anxiety and sorrow, fear, not anxiety, it's fear, it's not depression, it's sadness, the real words for it were happening in him. He didn't know how to deal with them. And another problem with the you-do-you narrative is that it's so individualistic, it's so self-focused, it demands that all other voices come under it, that is your family, The church, the Bible, Jesus himself are silenced by this unsatiable appetite to you do you. And we'll go to any great lengths to get these desires. This is the sad thing. And they kill us. 
we go out and we just work more and more and more and more and more. Just get the better, just get the better job, more money, while the family bleeds out. It's the classic one. Nothing wrong with trying to earn some more money. I'm all for that. That's a good thing, but we make it an ultimate thing and it kills us. And it crushes the family and it's a legalist and it's a lie. And then it's the same with trading in the new wife or the new husband or the new family, the new desire, just if I could just get this, it'd be better. That's not true. See, the you-do-you narrative is actually an illusion. It's a real trick. Like all lies, it has some truth. But the truth is you cannot build an identity from within. You can't do it. Even when people say, you do you, babe, and don't worry about what others say, we build our identity on the person who's just said, you do you, babe, and don't worry about what other people said. Whenever we win the Commonwealth Gold Medal and we say, I just did it, I just did my thing, guess what? They're getting all their identity out of the adoration of people telling them that they're all right, that they're good. It always comes from outside. It never comes from inside. It's an illusion. It's impossible to build identity from within. And we need someone from outside to say that we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of the person telling us that, the more powerful the recognition is to our identity. The more powerful the person, the more powerful our identity is. So, instead of having people believe and try to act out the you do, you babe narrative, maybe, maybe from this reading, we should just get people to think like us, like Christians, because that's really helpful. See, when I became a Christian, I thought my job was for a long time to get people to think like me. That's the job. Because because I'm right. And then if they think like me, they're right. And if they think like me, they're smart. And if they think like me, they're humble. All of those things. They're good people if they do what I say and believe what I believe. Then they're right. Then they're good. So we just need to get people to believe that Jesus... Because when he says, I'm the shepherd, he's saying, I'm God. When he says, I am the gate, he's saying, I'm the only way to to God. I'm the only way to ultimate reality. Everything else is a lie. So we've just got to get people to do that. So we've got to bash them into submission. Get them to think like me and then I'll feel good about myself and I build my identity on getting people to think like me. But you'd never do that. That's actually what we all do. Our churches are full of them. People like that. I'm one of them. I can be both. I'm that bad. (laughs) See, although the you do you, babe, narrative is dangerous, maybe even more dangerous is this Jesus is useful narrative. Maybe that's actually even worse. Maybe that's really bad. Maybe that's more like the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about when he talks about thieves and wolves. Maybe, Maybe where the... Maybe we're in the most danger, actually. 
Jonathan Edwards defined a nominal Christian as one who finds Jesus useful. Doesn't put him in the centre, just puts him onto the side. He's useful for getting what I really want. While a true Christian is one who finds Christ beautiful for who he is in himself. So what do we do with Jesus who says, I am the shepherd and the gate? What if the one who calls himself shepherd and the gate actually did something that meant, meant that our own internal desires that de- don't define us, nor do we have to get people to think the way that we think and believe? That we don't have to do that either. What if he's done something about that? I think he has. Like verse 11 and 15, he says it. He says it twice because it's twice as important. I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. You see, a shepherd should be willing to risk his life for, for the sheep. In case a bear or a wolf or something comes along, they should be willing to do it. But Jesus goes further than that. He wasn't willing to risk his life. He deliberately gave his life. He jumped in the bear's mouth for us. It's far from being accidental. Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him as good. Not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. By his death, instead of exposing his flock to further danger... And ravages, he draws, his death draws the sheep to himself. Where nothing can harm them in who they are, because they've been called by name. Because it's our sinfulness that put us on the outside of the herd, yet it's his sinlessness that brought us back in close. Because the great shepherd has called us and laid down his life so we belong to him and that actually gives us life. It's him. Our identity is not something uh, achieved. It's not to be achieved, but it's actually to be received. And because of that, we are free to actually share and love the unlovable to look after the poor and the widow, to love even our enemies. This Father's Day, even to love our fathers. Even if you're a man, you've got dad issues like me. Love him. What does it look like to love him today? What does it look like if you're the dad to love your son, your daughter today? Look like you to get on the phone first. So whether our so-called inner desires are met or not, we're in Jesus, the great shepherd, who calls us by name. And the more we hear and see the great shepherd, the more we see what he's actually done, the more beautiful he is, the more you want to follow him. And the more your desires will get in step with his. 
because he's more beautiful than you think he is. He's more beautiful than what I know, way more. His grace is wider. He's greater. More sinful than I ever thought I was, more loved and accepted in the shepherd than I could ever believe, ever hope for. That's who you are, not what the culture says. You're his and he calls you by name, and that's good news. Amen.